Don't look now, but it's a whole new world of weed out there. Pot is flower, it's Bruce Banner and Blue Dream. You've got bongs and dabs, resin and shatter, vaping and edibles, new terms, new strains, and new ways to use cannabis sativa, the plant. Some just made with CBD and hemp has minimal THC. There's sativa and indica strains and 100 chemicals all legal in 10 states for adult use. There's a lot to get to know. Get used to it, folks, because it's legal in the Bay State and it's not going away. Neither is In the Weeds with Jimmy Young next. Revolutionary Clinics is just one of 49 medical cannabis dispensaries in Massachusetts, but there's a reason why it's one of the most popular. It's their patient-first philosophy. All day long, they teach, they educate, they communicate about this complicated plant called cannabis sativa. That's true. Whether you visit their Cambridge location in Fresh Pond at 110 Fawcett Street or at 67 Broadway in Somerville. Revolutionary Clinics, where the patient comes first. I am the founder of Pro Cannabis Media, Jimmy Young. And this is Kurt with Cannabis.net. And we're also joined now by... David Rabinovitz. David Rabinovitz. David, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, someone I have the utmost respect for in so many ways. Um, as a financial consultant in the cannabis space, uh, first of all, I need to get your reaction to whatever you heard from Steve D'Angelo because I found what he had to say just so compelling and great history lessons. So it's off to me. I really didn't hear too much of that when I was in the waiting room. Oh, man, that, that's why I asked I you about in the break. Did you hear it? I heard some of it. Okay, all right, fair enough. What, were you impressed with the 20 seconds you actually heard? It was very good. Okay, good. Good <laughs> job, David. Um, tell us a little bit about what you do and how you are involved in the cannabis space and uh, who you might even be working with, or if you can tell us. Sure. So I do a lot of things, Jimmy. I'm uh, working with a group to get a couple of licenses for retail stores, advising some economic empowerment applicants. Uh, I'm working with a team that was selected by the Cannabis Control Commission as one of the six trainers for the social equity and economic empowerment training. Cool. Just, yep. And that's just part of your time, I know. Right. Um, one of the things that Steve brought up, uh, we've talked about this, Kurt, uh, both privately and publicly on some of the programs that we've, we've shared, is the regulations are becoming so stringent and so tough, it's, being, it's difficult for the industry to even get started. Um, you're a guy who looks at numbers and margins. Uh, is, is this what's going on? Is this what's feeding the illegal market? Um, it's, it, it is the way the industry is structured right now. The licensing process is very difficult. We were looking at real estate today. In order to get a document from the owner of the property in, to apply to the community, to get a host community agreement, $25,000 up front. Up front? Up front. And is that refundable by any chance? Or is that truly just like, here, take my money just to process this? Take my money, and if the deal falls apart, we forfeit anything we've put down. Wow. Is that money going to the host town or to? Going to the landlord. That's one of the problems with the situation uh, right now. Uh. The landlords, in many instances, are controlling the flow. The towns don't pick who gets the host community agreement. The landlords pick who gets the host community agreement. Because if a town has, as an example, two, three, four slots, and there's 20 or 30 people competing for it, and the landlords have multiple people coming in looking for that, that location. The landlords auction it off to the highest bidder, and it's who the landlord selects that gets to go to the town, which is typically the people with the deepest pockets. 
So uh, just a question here. I, I've been talking to a lot of people in this space and a lot of different um, avenues. One in particular, there's a company out there that's trying to buy up the empty warehouse spaces and the empty um, factories that have shut down around all around Massachusetts and obviously in New England, too, and then lease that back out to the cannabis community. So is that not help? Would that not help the industry? Oh, I think it could help. I think it could help the smaller players because now you're going to take a lot of the capital out of the equation, right? Somebody's going to come in and say, I'll lease you a turnkey facility. That's a great thing. The issue is some of those lease rates can be kind of high. And I've talked to a couple of people who are on the lessor side of that, and I've heard comments that they expect to have their money back within three years. Whoa. So that's pretty Correct, right? That's huge, yeah. right? Yeah. Can you imagine huge. buying a house and leasing it to somebody and paying off your mortgage? In three years. In three years? That would be unbelievable, right? Actually. And we've got, what, 23 stores open right now, mm-hmm. and there's 199 in total in the pipeline. So behind those 23 are another 160-something applications, provisional licenses, final licenses. There's only been, I think, one retail store turned down to date. Interesting. Uh, what about the pace of the licenses? Are you frustrated by that as someone who's trying to get this thing going? I haven't gone into the queue, but I'm dealing with people who have gone into the queue who are saying that it's taking many, many months. It is not the 90 days that I understand was expected in the law. And I think some of it is that the commission just is trying to get staffed up. Um, I heard from an attorney last week that they understand the commission just hired five more people to begin to review applications. But I I spoke to somebody who had an application that went in in February, and they still haven't heard back from it. Wow. And, and of course, then there's the other side, those who have been impacted the most by the war on drugs, the failed war on drugs, um, people in the city, those of of color. uh, And what... Again, where where are they? they? They get lost in the shuffle again, don't they? No, I didn't get lost. They're out there. Yeah. <laughs> They're out there and they know where they are. They've, I think a lot of them are very frustrated. It comes right. back to, you. Sp- I speak to a lot of those people. I run a meetup group mm-hmm. that's got over 200 members, people who want to start cannabis businesses, and a lot of people are minorities in that group. And uh, I've been to a couple of mass can events, demystifying cannabis, mm-hmm. and I've met with a lot of economic empowerment people, offered my number to see how I can help them out in some way. I hear time and time again they cannot get host community agreements because they can't compete with people who have more money. And then when you begin to talk to people on the investment side, it's a common refrain. I'd love to talk to you about investing in your business. Come back to me when you have a license or a host community agreement. So now, in order to get the host community agreement, you need a lot of cash to give to the landlord to go through that process. Um, we're working with a town right now. We've been in it for five months, mm-hmm. and I believe the team is going to pick up the final approval before September. But that's five months, and had they had to re- pay for the space up front, they'd be out of pocket five months' worth of rent. That's wow. a lot of money just to play around to see if you can get the local approval. Kurt. But how hard would it be to, obviously the landlords are sitting at the bottleneck, to get the flow changed because now it's i think people who are our listeners and viewers might think oh i go to the town i apply i either get yes or no or provisional and now let me go find a place but it's not that's how it should go but we're obviously it's no you need your place first and this is where the landlords control now come back to the town how can we how hard is it to change that 
part of it to say, no, towns do this first, now go look for a place. I'll tell you in a few weeks on that okay. how hard it Come is. But, I, but, next, but I, I will share this, right? Okay. All the towns believe that you need to have the space before you come to the town to apply. I think a lot of that is, be, first, I think it's backwards for yep. the way this system works. Mm-hmm. It was the right way in 2013. In 2013, the state held sessions, the Department of Public Health, told the cannabis prospective operators, here's what you need to do. It was many, many months. People were running around, finding locations, getting the local letter from the municipality of non-opposition, and the application window was one day. And if I recall, it was about six hours or six and a half hours. You had to have your application in between like 10 a.m., and 3 p.m., and it had to be stamped, and if it came in a minute late, you were out. And then they let everybody know the answers all at once. It wasn't on a rolling basis as it is today. So in the original medical program, there was one window to apply, and if you think back to the old college days when they would post the grades outside the professor's door and you'd go up and find your student number and look up the grade, that was the same way. In January of, I think it was 2014, they announced who were the winners and the losers. Well, that makes sense when you've got one window in a limited amount of time and you're going to have one time that you announce the winners. This is a rolling process. In a rolling process, it really doesn't make sense to say, go get your real estate first, go through months of meetings. Right? I was in a hearing about a week ago, and the, the, one of the attorneys made the comment, this is only a couple of minute ordeal that we need to go through. And I pointed out it's not a couple of minutes because if it doesn't happen in one meeting, it's three weeks until the next meeting. Right. Start adding three weeks and two weeks and four weeks, and pretty soon you're into it for five or six months. They've certainly controlled the rollout of this industry, haven't they? It's been very controlled, but... Uh, What I have to say in the Cannabis Control Commission's defense is nobody knew how to do this. They were the first ones east of the Mississippi. Right. They did the best. And they're trying to do it right. right. And they followed what had been done, which was the medical program. And now I think they're trying to make some corrections. The uh, I I got through probably 150 pages of the new regulations before the five o'clock deadline today to submit commentary, and they made a lot of. There's a lot of good improvements in there. Uh, one of the things that they talked about at the Cannabis Commission today was the body camps uh, for delivery services that yep. they hope to roll out. Um, a lot of controversy, a lot of, um, I believe, a lot of passionate appeals were, were done. Um, what's your feeling about uh, body cams for delivery of adult-use recreational cannabis? I, I could go back and forth. I could argue both sides of it. I do think it's not a bad thing that when the delivery agent gets to the front door, that they have an iPad, and they say to the person, I need to swipe your ID to, make sh- to prove you're over 21, yep. take a picture of it, and I need to take a picture of you so that I can tie out that, in fact, I gave this product to somebody who's over 21 years old. And I didn't just leave it on the doorstep. I didn't give it to a seven-year-old who answered the door. And I can prove that the person who ordered it was the person I delivered it to. All right? That part I get. The whole body cam... I think a lot of it's way overblown. Why? In what way? I mean, I happen to what think way? it's an invasion of, of personal liberty. I do. I mean, yeah. why, why, do, why does there have to be a record? If they're delivering, there's a company out there. I know they're not. The company's Drizzly. They, they deliver alcohol door to door from liquor stores. Mm-hmm. They're not wearing body cams. Uh, that's a great point, right? 
cannabis shouldn't by the really way, be treated that much differently right. than well I, again two sides of it i don't think cannabis should be treated that much differently than alcohol or tobacco the flip side is cannabis is illegal at the federal level so i can see the extra safeguards but a lot of those safeguards should evaporate as soon as cannabis becomes no longer illegal at the federal level i i, I get the you want to have it tighter to protect the delivery agent, right? Imagine mm. the delivery agent who gets accused of leaving it with a 14-year-old kid. Oh, boy. Right? Well, th- they shouldn't have a job if they do that because they, they work. shouldn't. Right. But, but now you got a he said, she said. Yeah. Right? And you could have a delivery agent in a bind. So my view is it's not a bad thing for the delivery agent to be able to confirm the ID and prove that the person who's there. They is have the their person picture, who ordered it. Right? Because if you walk into the store, you're going to be on camera. Right. Right? And then you're going to have to show your ID, and they're going to verify it. And that protects the store. I think the delivery agent should be protected the same way, even if it's a clause that that says it evaporates as soon as the feds take it off Schedule 1. Interesting. Well, Steve kind of talked about this, where it's it's a... Was it answer in search of a problem? And for Massachusetts to act like we have no idea what's about to happen... We have, as, as Steve just mentioned, uh, 50,000, 100,000 deliveries. Examples in Never California. Never had a problem. Never had so a problem. Why are we pretending now as Massachusetts, God, we have no idea what's going to happen when people start. Well, how about we look at nine other states that have been doing this for years? Again, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> okay. I, 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 can go, I can argue it on either side. And yep. I look at it from if I were on the delivery side, because I'm working with somebody who want, a couple people want to get in the delivery business. One on the wholesale side, one on the retail side. So when I start to dig into where are the risks, I, I think it protects them if they have proof that who they delivered it to is who they were supposed to deliver it to. Um, you talk about risks, um, and you talk about profit margins. When you look at the uh, the entire business, the entire industry, um, what sector is the safest to invest in? Or can you even say that? <laughs> you love to ask me that question. I do, I do. I, it's no, probably the sure. third time I've asked you. you have I ever gotten an answer? I'm waiting for the goddamn answer. I, 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 your most <laughs> capital-intensive investment will be in cultivation. And I think that you probably have some of the greatest risk in cultivation because it, it is I, – I am not a grower. I can't grow strawberries, yeah. right? But, and I may have told you that last time. Yes, I remember. <laughs> but um, it takes a lot of money to set up a cultivation operation, right? Right. And if something goes wrong with your crop, you're in trouble, right? And you don't – it's not like – you've made a bad batch of tomato sauce, you throw that out and you start over again. Something goes wrong with your crop at the wrong time, you could lose eight, 10, 12 weeks worth of time, right? There's a lot of investment in there. I think that's a riskier business for a number of reasons. And I don't think it's as easy to grow a warehouse full of marijuana as it is to grow six plants in your basement. Right. It's a different business. Absolutely. And, of course, the, the smell of the plants in your basement is going to be the biggest thing that you have to control. <laughs> because it's a very pungent plant, is it not, guys? Yeah, yeah absolutely. We've all, we've all heard that. Um, can I ask you about Mayor Walsh for a second? And, and Kurt, you know, let, let's talk about it. I mean, we're, we're definitely being uh, provincial here a little bit. We're from Boston. I, I, I'm amazed at how many different hoops he's making everybody in his backyard go through just to open up the first dispensary which i believe they awarded to pure oasis coming in the fall i don't i don't they're the first in the in the city of boston i mean net is brookline i thought andrea cabral had the first one that's the medical side 
Not that I, okay. I'm not sure on that. You're not no. sure. I, I'm pretty I'm sure. Not, I know Pure Oasis is the first economic for, empowerment. Yes, right? that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah and also, but for, rec, for rec, adult use recreational. Okay. Yes, that's where I was going with that, and that's okay. So, so again, it took them over two years, and and still it's not open yet. And you go past Netta in Brookline, and the lines are still around the block. It's amazing to me. It's a great thing for Soterra. Great thing for Netta. Yeah, they did make a good deal there. Let's talk about that for a second, shall we? Uh, how the big uh, conglomerates that are supposed to be limited to three dispensaries in the state, um, that isn't exactly being held to, or at least it, um, there's some gray area with the management of that, too. Oh, I don't know if it's a gray area. I think that there are people who have hidden out in the shadows, but I think that's going to come to light real fast, right? The, the Cannabis Control Commission put out a bid, mm-hmm. and they had a number of people apply to become an investigator for that on a contract basis to uncover in the application process that issue. And I believe next week they're going to contact the first round to say whether or not those folks made it made the first cut. Interesting. That Again, another fascinating aspect of what's going on in the beginnings of this industry. Uh, there's so much out there. Uh, David, if you were to uh, pick a uh, a business, I'm going to go to it again. You know that you wanted to put some money into. Are you still saying? Are you going to look at the cultivation side, or is that too no, risky? No, I, 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 for me, it's too risky. Yep. I think it requires a lot of specialized knowledge. I met with two young people today who were um, had a product in Rhode Island. They for medical folks mm-hmm. that apparently went over well. They're from Massachusetts and they want to start a manufacturing op- operation in Massachusetts. If I were sitting with a p- p- pile of cash, here's my view: the most valuable license is a retail license because it's the most scarce and it is the funnel way to the customer. But if I were putting my money in and betting, I would bet on the manufacturers because they're going to have the greatest potential for growth. A retailer is going to only sell within their area. Let's assume there's 200, 199 stores as of August 8th. Not open, but open, final license, provisional license, application submitted. Yep. And there's probably going to be another 100 that are going to come out. We're past the major activity of the host community agreements. I, I had a Google search term that would tell me what was going on with articles about host community agreements. Earlier this year, from February to May, I couldn't keep up with reading the articles. And then sometime in May, it began to drop off. So I think most of the people got their host community agreements. The, uh, um, there was a big jump in the number of applications for retail stores over the past week, couple of weeks. Um, and I think we'll, I'm sticking with my original number of like 300 to 325 stores. You divide up the market, the stores will only get to be so big. Some will do better, may, some might not. But the manufacturers who get a really good niche product, I think they could do very well. Interesting. So it, it kind of ties into Jimmy's question. I'm going to rephrase it. And I've written a few articles on cannabis.net about margin compression. And yep. how I think. Uh, when this two to three years out, we're going to see the price of this flower come down, down, down. As, as Steve mentioned, everyone's growing rooftops. You can even grow at home, like you said, in your basement. You have big grows. So there's margin compression on the flower price. There's, are you a pick and shovel fan? 
Are you, uh, you know, competing on the plastics and the packaging? Or as Jimmy said, what to you when you look two or three years out, if it isn't going to be a big manufacturing facility, what, where do you like it? Where do you see margins holding up? Uh-huh. Retail and manufacturing. Okay. I think the biggest compression is going to come out in the, um, the, the people who are going to suffer the most margin compression will be the cultivators. All right. Now I'm going to bring up Cambridge. City of Cambridge is now at war with the three medical dispensaries that are inside the city, and the city councilors are getting just <laughs> they're under attack by the uh, various attorneys that represent the medical dispensaries who want to move forward with their recreational license. And the city councilors are trying to hold out to allow the economic empowerment people to get first crack at the adult use rec um, licenses. But it will take those people another two years, which means the people of Cambridge will have to wait another two years before they have adult use recreational opportunity. And yet they have three, I think, fine facilities doing a great job on the medical side. And that includes uh, my friends from Revolutionary Clinics. So I guess my question is on that, uh, how is this going to end up? Is it going to go to the courts? There's already a threat of a lawsuit. Who knows if they're going to break each other's legs? I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> <Lake Cambridge. breakers. laughs> I don't think they'll end up in court. Okay. Right? Think about the, the wheels of justice move, grind exceedingly fine, but they move exceedingly slow. If they sue, they may win, but it's going to take a long time. Either way, the city of Cambridge residents who voted it in um, are not going to get access to it, which to me says that the city councilors are putting their own ideals and ideas ahead of what the population wants. And that just drives me, local politics drives me nuts. All politics drives me nuts. I think the city councilors are trying to do a good thing. I think they're trying to level, Somerville and Cambridge are trying to level the playing field for the economic empowerment applicants. I don't know if they're going about it the right way. I communicated with a couple of the city councilors from Cambridge. In fact, I made the suggestion to them, if you want to get the economic empowerment applicants going, allow them to come in and approve the teams without forcing them to get a location. And the ones I spoke to didn't think that they could do that. They needed to go check to find out. So uh, marijuana is one part of, a, of what the city councilors throughout the co- or, or boards of selectmen are dealing with without, throughout the Commonwealth. You're in marijuana every day. I'm in marijuana every day. We understand it. We live it. We breathe it. We read a lot about it. We smoke it. Right. We dab it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> city council, the, the, the elected officials... They don't know as much, so they're having a harder time navigating to figure out solutions. Um, personally, the, my understanding is the Cambridge medical operators have offered to kick some money into a pool a over five the next million year. dollar fund. Exactly. Right. Why I, I, Cambridge could solve this in a heartbeat? Yes, I think right? so too. Very easy. Bring in all the economic empowerment teams, screen them, pick the teams you want. Send the teams out to find the real estate and then say to the medical operators, here's the deal. We're going to go one economic empowerment and one medical. And if you on the medical side want to get your store converted, help these people get going. Yeah. And right? again, and it's what and Steve Hoffman actually said that to me when I talked to him. He really wants to see the private sector step up and create 
economic empowerment programs. And there's a perfect example of how it can be done. Yeah. Well, you got their ear. Pick up the phone and call them again, David. I don't have anybody's ear. All right. Yours, Jim. I, yeah. <laughs> that's just you do. And by the way, I do appreciate you coming in on such short notice. As always, you know, everybody I talk to is smarter than me when it comes to cannabis. That's for sure. And uh, certainly with business. And David Rabinowitz, how can people get in touch with you to perhaps pick your brain or even pay you, for instance, to uh, get some of your consulting? They can find me on LinkedIn. Yep. Right? That's an easy one. Just search David Rabinovitz with a V. With a V. Right? And uh, canaventurelabs.com. Yep. Or my Gmail address, drabinovitz at gmail.com. Let's give it out there. All right, David Rabinovitz, thank you so much for coming in. Revolutionary Clinics is just one of 49 medical cannabis dispensaries in Massachusetts, but there's a reason why it's one of the most popular. It's their patient-first philosophy. All day long, they teach, they educate, they communicate about this complicated plant called Cannabis Sativa. That's true. Whether you visit their Cambridge location in Fresh Pond at 110 Fawcett Street or at 67 Broadway in Somerville. Revolutionary Clinics, where the patient comes first. In the Weeds with Jimmy Young is a production of the Pro Cannabis Media Group for the education and information of our listening audience. The opinions on this podcast are strictly those of the hosts of the program and do not represent Pro Cannabis Media or any of its affiliates. No medical advice is given and any use of cannabis should be by adults over the age of 21 and used responsibly.